Fi Ran the Bank is a podcast hosted by Clayton Weir, co-founder and head of product and strategy at FiSpan, a fintech that is enabling banks to provide contextualized, consumer-like experiences to their business clients. Clayton is a leading thought leader in financial innovation and hits on the hottest topics in banking, finance, and the future of payments. And he wants to know, if you ran the bank, what's the one thing you'd go all in on? Please tune into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's your host, Clayton Weir. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of If I Ran the Bank. I am your host, as always, Clayton Weir, and I'm super thrilled to have, as a guest, Aaron McCune, who you're going to hear for the first time, but this is the second and a half time that we have tried to record this episode, one of which uh, is completely lost to the internet. So hopefully that's a foundation to build upon and not not just a bad omen for what's going to happen today. Uh, the reason I invited Aaron is um, outside of maybe having the most dashing hairstyle in all the payments is, uh, I think, really interesting respected thought leader, uh, as is her from Glenbrook, in the kind of area of B2B payments and innovation that's happening here and thought she would have a very interesting uh, perspective, which which I now know that she does because we recorded the ill-fated episode. So, Aaron, do you want to maybe fill fill the blanks in for the audience on uh, kind of who who you are and and what you do? Sure, sure. And I'm happy to do this again. <laughs> a little bit of Groundhog Day. I am an absolute payment geek. I am also a partner at Glenbrook, and we are a strategy consulting firm based in San Francisco. We have clients all over the world. We do work all over the world. And my, as you suggested and indicated, I focus a lot of my attention on business payments. And I guess in that sense, I said B2B, but really businesses to all kinds of other people. Exactly. I often use the word enterprise and I mean it very liberally. So everything from micro businesses, sole proprietors, all the way up to, you know, Fortune 20 multinationals with with very complicated back offices and shared service centers all over the globe. I mean, you've obviously been in this space for for a while, but has that changed who the the audiences that kind of are relevant when we talk about, you know, business payments? Is it is the definition broadening over time? So there's two categories, obviously. There's the companies that are making and receiving payments. Yeah. Let's remember all businesses do both. Yeah. They have to pay their suppliers, they have to disperse funds to their employees. They have to do t e reimbursements and payroll and all that good stuff. Um, they also need to get paid. They won't be in business for very long if, if they don't get paid. Um, and in terms of thinking about solutions for businesses, they're served obviously by banks, but increasingly, the software providers that serve businesses, both on the receivables and the payable side, are getting into the payments business. They've figured out that payments revenue is a nice complement to software revenue and often quite lucrative. So, so that has become an area of particular focus in, in recent years. And that's... Interesting. And I don't want to put too much space between us and kind of uh, the heart of this conversation, but I think that's a really interesting point. And I'm curious as an maybe an outsider to that, if I was like a business application, I'm just for the sake of it, you know, let's say something like QuickBooks Online, but like a little software tool primarily that serves business customers and starts to add these payment things. Is that 
what is it is the economic driver primary in your mind is it that that it is just this kind of extra way to monetize against your customers or is it viewed in your opinion more often as solving the next kind of pain point down the value chain for those same customers just as part of your overall value proposition it's certainly an adjacent capability and makes abundant sense this observation is actually related to a sort of broader phenomena that's happening in the world of business payments. Traditionally, in this space, solution providers would compete based on the size of their proprietary network, the number of buyers and suppliers that they served and that they were able to reach. That has fallen away, and what we're seeing is focus on interoperability, meaning rather than trying to serve both sides of the transaction, both parties to the transaction, the two counterparties, many solution providers are recognizing that, look, my expertise is, is accounts payable, and I'm going to play nicely and cooperate and exchange information with accounts receivable providers who are serving the vendors and the suppliers rather than forcing those employees of those supplier companies to use my solution. I'll just work with their preferred vendor and streamline the exchange of information natively and electronically rather than messing around with portals and all that kind of stuff. There's sort of a desire and a need to embed payments in the business process. And that's driving a lot of focus and a lot of, to be perfectly honest, a lot of sort of power in the industry closer to the solution providers that are closest to the business processes. Which makes sense, I think, in general, kind of, you know, product management, kind of product marketing sense, right? The person who is closest to the customer should, I mean, A, just logistically, you're kind of in the final mile, so you should be able to add more value. But just hypothetically, you are much deeper understanding of the processes and the workflows and the the pain points and the duct tape solutions of that customer. Yeah. And I I think because in the world of business payments, The information about the payment is as important as the money moving itself. And your access to that information, your ability to take that information and do something with it and add value based on it is predicated on having an intimate participation in the business processes themselves. So that's what we're seeing in, in the industry at large right now. Totally makes sense. And so I think that that's actually probably a really good segue because I I know what you want to talk about, I think, is realistically are the building blocks of a journey towards a world where that, you know, rich uh, contextual kind of payments are going to be commonplace, but maybe the more practical paths. I don't want to steal any of your thunder on that. Do you want to tell the listeners what you would do if you were running a bank today? If I ran the bank? Yeah. All right. This is what I would do if I ran the bank. As you, Clayton, are aware, and as I know your audiences may well be aware, U.S. consumers write very few checks today. They've evolved. They've moved on. However, businesses continue to rely on checks, and small businesses in particular are responsible for writing or receiving more than half of the checks that are created 
in the United States today. And so my big idea for bankers addresses this challenge. And it's a challenge for the bank. It's a challenge for businesses. And it's a challenge for all of us in the industry that have been dedicated to digitizing transactions for the last several decades. Which is true, right? They, you know, business to business, small business check volume is the bane on the payments landscape, so so to speak. And, you know, for the bankers in particular, one of like a real thorn in their side is that online banking bill payment which is a consumer product gets used or legacy consumer product gets used by small businesses. They will use it as their accounts payable solution. They enter their payees and they go in there and, and they create payments using online banking bill pay. It feels digital, but the problem is if the recipient is not a major biller, it's not Comcast, it's not, you know, your local power utility. On the back end of that process, it spits out a check. And that solution, that um, feature of the small business checking account is free. But that check that got spit out on the back end of the process of the, the digital bill payment process, which isn't that digital, costs the bank money. So this actually is pretty painful for banks. It totally makes sense. And so to, just to like put that in a different perspective, because actually like in the context of, of our businesses, Fivespan, we found with our banks, with much larger businesses, that actually that server-side check program is a really good gateway drug to getting them to adopt more electronic payment types. Because what it coaches them in that case is, well, I'm going to send you a thousand items and like 80% of them are ACH. Time send them a check. You're charging me three fifty an item or whatever to print and mail that check. I'm going to ask for routing numbers, and over time it just goes out. Whereas this is almost the opposite. You have literally no idea what's happening, and you're accidentally spewing checks out into the universe with literally no idea that you're doing so, and probably enjoying the experience, right? Of like this magic check that you think is the wonder of the internet. <laughs> The the wonder of the internet circa 1995. As as the internet as envisioned in 1995. So that that makes sense. So that, but like, so if we kind of transition on then, so if we're kind of aligned that, you know, checks are an issue, they're probably an economic issue for banks. They're create all kinds of business process issues for small businesses sending and receiving. What, what then is the path towards, Nirvana on, on, on this from your perspective? So I've actually got a multi-step process to Nirvana. Small business check replacement enlightenment, as it were. Uh, so the, the first thing that I would do as a banker is to redefine the notion of biller. So let's, let's first deal with the stuff that's happening related to online banking bill pay. And I would auto-enroll my small business customers to receive online banking bill pay payments electronically. I've clearly got their credentials for ACH. And I would work with Fiserv and Transactus and everybody who's involved in, in online banking bill pay and MasterCard RPPS, which is sort of the 
master directory and get all of these businesses set up to receive an electronic transaction in the event that another business or consumer for that matter, attempts to pay them using online banking bill pay. So that's like stem that issue right off the bat. The second thing that I would do is make ACH much more accessible to small businesses. Not all financial institutions offer ACH origination by default to their business customers. We can all receive an ACH, assuming we've given our payment credentials as consumers or businesses to our counterparty. But the ability to originate an ACH is not a default feature of small business bank accounts. Um, There are reasons for that. There's risk associated with ACH origination. But the second element of of this suggestion is to give them access to ACH, but set it up so that they can only push rather than send money, give them an account that they can only use to receive money, basically debit block an account, and then give that to them for ACH so that they can say to all their counterparties, they could put it on a sign in their office. They could (laughs) plaster it on their invoices. They can put it in the footer of their emails. This is how you pay me. Here's an RTN and here's an account number. And this account that I have now, I I have access to to use ACH. And this is the account I'm going to use to receive payments. And it's debit blocked. So it's perfectly safe to give it to everybody. Yeah, you could put it. Put it in your IVR tree beside your store hours. Exactly. So so that would go a really long way. Just like those very basic steps. These are, this is infrastructure and uh, payment capabilities that exist today. There's some policy issues. There's some customer service and training elements to this, but it's not rocket science. I think this is a three-point plan, like any good politician yeah. had. But I think the first two points are sort of cohesive as a bucket, right? And then I think it you turn the temperature up from there. So let's just rephrase. So effectively, at Aaron's Bank, if I'm a small business, I sign up for my operating account. You're pretty much, maybe without even explaining it to me, listing me, setting me up as a biller in the common biller directory so that people can pay me hyper-efficiently, and I don't even really have to do anything or know anything to do that, right? So that's step one. Step two is your, it sounds like there's maybe sub-steps there, but you're for sure giving me this debit-blocked, no-send receivables ACH account that I can blast out into the universe, like my phone number to get paid, and maybe a very risk-controlled send-only ACH account as well. Did I read that right? Yes, I I've gar- I garbled that in there, but that that should also be be possible. And so that's like limited kind of effort and cost in some ways for me as a bank once I was doing that. But let's go dive into the risk thing because people come to this risk thing on the ACH side. So on the biller side, I guess there's probably not a ton of risk on that. On on the ACH receive side, there's really not a lot of risk on that. On the send side, 
I always perceive when people talk about risk on send, like with send only ACH, like about funding, because lots of banks do like weird, non like good funds models, but like outside of credit risk, like it's not what, like, can you describe the risk reasons you might not do this? One of the anxieties around ACH origination is that both of our ACH operators, the way it fundamentally works is that it's bi-directional. Yeah. If I have the ability to create an ACH, I can debit accounts. As long as I yeah. have people's account information, I can originate an ACH to debit someone's account. And businesses have less time by the rules to identify issues with their accounts. So that's part of the problem. So you can mitigate the funding risk. Yeah. ACH is very helpful for that, right? Yeah. You know, we have multiple batches, batch cutoffs a day. So you can do your funding earlier, set a cutoff. And if we're talking about small businesses making payments, I'm not worried about all the other things that they can do with a card that they're already doing via card, right? Yeah. That That is not germane to this. That's your base assumption is that these businesses have optimized cardable spend, right? They've sought it out. They love air miles. They love points. They've figured that out. They've asked. Right. They've got that under control, but we're just dealing with the checks. Yeah. Like that's what we're after. Yeah. And a lot of that is going to be sort of traditional accounts payable. And those are scheduled transactions, right? I get 30, 60, 90 days, whoever the terms are on my invoice to pay them so I can pre-schedule them. So that's... That's sort of the initial piece of this. And you can mitigate the risk. And, and they're originating transact ACH transactions from their own account. They're not creating a disbursement account. They're not funding it. You have their operating account. So that also helps. Yeah. The next element to this is to use this dialogue and engagement with these small businesses that you are transitioning from paper checks you want to move them in the direction of ultimately using the new real-time infrastructure, not because it's fast, but because it has some capabilities that are going to be really useful, in particular for small businesses, because they are not necessarily creating super complex invoices they don't have to deal with a lot of line items and volume discounts and promotional activity and all the sort of anxieties that plague large enterprises. So they could avail themselves of what is called a request to pay, which is one of the sort of core tenets of the ISO 2022 message formats that enable real-time payments. The idea is to then move these small businesses away from checks to ACH if, if someone's going to use the online banking bill pay, get it all squared away. But let's transition them away from that old product to the new way that we're going to do bill payments. And that's going to be using these request to pay capabilities, which is in effect an e-bill or an e-invoice and the small business that wants to get paid would ask for the money. And then in response, they would get a payment that was logically tied to the request for payment. And it would be a push transaction via the new real-time rails. These obviously can be pre-scheduled, 
which is appropriate for these types of transactions. And that is ultimately the way we would like to have all of this work. And then that'll all be accessible via API. We can probably post those much more easily than we can the the existing solutions and probably more easily than ACH today. So, because you, you would have this logical connection between the incoming payment and the invoice or the bill, the request that you made in the first place. And that's, that's sort of the, the nirvana piece of this. <laughs> that's the good part. But, but we're not there yet, right? We don't have widespread, ubiquitous access to the clearinghouse RTP platform just yet. FedNow certainly isn't up and running yet. And we have a ways to go in sort of harmonizing or normalizing the manner in which the various payment infrastructures, the banks themselves, and the processors are going to use the ISO 20022 formats. You said the real-time rail where speed is not actually part of the value proposition, which is funny, right? It's like it should be actually called the highly dataful, highly contextual, very visible state payment network, as opposed to real time. It's probably a better encapsulation of the actual value proposition. Because we're talking about mostly scheduled transactions for businesses, the speed doesn't matter. However, it does matter to some degree, particularly if we're talking about checks, right? We, we're displacing mail float. We're also displacing desk float. We're displacing the giant COVID challenge, which is that my employees are not at the office and the checks are at the office, which is which is a huge issue. So timing matters and businesses certainly can wait to the last minute to make a payment and avail themselves of, of the cash they have on hand for as long as they can. And the receiver of the payment would have the funds immediately available to them. So there are speed benefits, but for the most part, that's not critical given that these are scheduled transactions. Yeah, no, it totally agrees. And you just introduced an interesting idea. So obviously one of the counters always is that people love checks because of the float idea. But in my mind, if you're a subscale business, like if you're not Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000, your check pattern and the pattern of caching is so random that that money really isn't available to you when you put it in the envelope because it could could clear in two days, like it could be gone anyway, right? Like it's not, it's just psychological, not practical in a sense. Even before COVID, when when the mail was trapped at the office and no one was actually going to the office, most entrepreneurs got into business because they had a passion for who knows what. They did not have a passion for accounting and they sure didn't have a passion for invoicing and billing. Like one of the amusing things about solutions for small businesses is, you know, the big benefit is you, uh, if you send in electronic invoices, you get paid faster. (laughs) That's the world we're operating in. Like today, businesses will still go to Costco and buy or the Office Depot or Office Max or whichever one of those still exists and, and buy a pad of invoices that have number pre that are pre-printed with numbers and that have carbon and triplicate and that's how they create their invoices they're not digital right that someone they they hire a bookkeeper 
to enter all this stuff into QuickBooks for them. The shoebox kind of model of accounting. This is absolutely the shoebox version, right? Like the, the, the business owner is not enthusiastic about the, their back office responsibilities. They may be doing them, you know, on Sunday night or, you know, late at night while they're watching TV. So that hurts your cash cycle way more than anything else. We're having this conversation in the midst of this unprecedented challenge in terms of not being able to go to the office, not not having your staff on hand because of the pandemic. And it is driving a fundamental rethink of how the back office functions for all businesses, little ones, big ones, enterprises, like everybody is thinking about this. Yeah. If not now, then when I, I think on, on some of this stuff. So I want to come back out to the macro of what you said about the business user, but just for a second, let's dive in for, for dummies like me. What is the state of this request for payment thing? Cause I'm, super aware of it. It's really interesting. It's powerful. It is 100% the future and it's going to be Nirvana. Are there businesses who could go to their bank portal and like do an RFP message today in the United States? Is that is it even that level of real, regardless of ubiquity? It is not evenly commercialized by the banks that have gone live with RTP Rails that the clearinghouse is offering. And in many cases, a lot of the early thinking about request to pay has been in a traditional sort of consumer bill pay model. And so that's where we're gonna see it first. Offering it to this constituency, to small businesses, has not been sort of the the area of focus. And if I were the bank, I would be clamoring for this to solve the small business check problem. And I would be working through NACHA, the clearinghouse, the folks that are responsible for bill payment. I would be working with Intuit. I would be thinking about everybody that touches small businesses. And I would begin to sort of rally them to say, we are all in this together. And we can't do it alone, but collectively, if we give a consistent message to small businesses about how this might work, and if we are very aligned amongst ourselves as industry participants that focus on small businesses, if we can work through industry cooperation and the avenues that we have available to, our, to us, to say, okay, we're going to use the ISO 20022 request to pay messaging in this way for this use case and sort of get everybody sort of lined up to do that, then you could absolutely unlock value very, very effectively at great scale as banks and all the enablers that serve small businesses become ready to support the ISO formats and the new rails. And and let's be honest, you could respond to one of those ISO request to pay messages with a plain vanilla ACH. It doesn't have to be a real-time one. You could also respond with a with a card payment. And that's a lot of what you look at what the MasterCard bill pay exchange concept, which is more geared toward consumer bill pay, 
it it's it's agnostic in terms of the form of payment. Totally makes sense. And I think that's probably a, a marketing thing. I'm guessing Clearinghouse probably doesn't want you saying that publicly, but that that is the interesting thing is that the request for pay is a messaging utility that is not directly linked to the payment execution rail that it is affiliated with in that sense, which is interesting. And, and like you said, is creative. I want to go just a completely different direction because what truly builds the case for Nirvana on top of this, right? Like you have this magical sort of end-to-end -end processing and my admin time as the payer is way down your admin time as the receiver is way down in this case. It's magic, right? We're, we've died and gone to B2B vendor payables heaven. But we're actually underselling what I think is even maybe the most important and interesting part of this beyond just that, which is what you're getting for free is in a world where there's so much pressure on kind of this AP spear phishing and fraud, you now have this closed loop sort of rich billing network that has two banks on either side of it and, you know, the Fed in the middle of it or the clearinghouse or whomever, it's going to potentially be a very nice, secure way to communicate between buyers and suppliers and avoid some of those dimensions of AP fraud as an, an added bonus to this. Yeah. I mean, you know, the great irony is everyone's anxious about fraud, um, but checks are still responsible for a lot of fraud and a lot of the fraud is around social engineering and giving up credentials. But if you have a means where you're encouraging small businesses to use this account that is debit blocked, you go a yeah. long way to like back to step one before we got into ISA Nirvana. Yeah. That actually is really helpful. Totally. I mean, the great irony here is everybody's all anxious about their ACH credentials when they're on the bottom of the check. Yeah. For small businesses, right? We're not talking about big businesses with zero balance accounts and sweeping funds and using disbursement tools and all that. Yeah. We're talking about a small business that may have one account, maybe two. The security factor there, though, is we've all tried to fill in like a direct debit form at one time and translate the check into the fields. And it is confusing to me. What I think is really interesting, and just for everybody that kind of tuned out midway, if they did, to bring it back, three-step plan. Eliminate the check for small businesses. One is put every small business that you bank, register them as a builder in the common builder networks. Step two, let them have this magic, super safe, receive only ACH account. Maybe for the people you think can handle it, give them ACH access, which I think probably should be ubiquitous as well um, in a very safe way to start paying. Third is really start to, and probably the tools you're building around those two things are building people towards being ready for this request for pay that comes. Mm -hmm. So that's a journey that makes sense. What's really interesting about your ideas, Aaron, is effectively all three of those are looking at the biller, vendor, receiver side as, as the person that can take the action. Whereas I think so often when we have this conversation, people talk about payers, right? And we talk about like, you know, the automation tools and getting the payers comfortable. Really, these are like enabling the, the builder side, the receiver side of this, giving them a better access to the tool set with the view that, you know, people are motivated to get paid, I guess, is the underlying motivation there. And thus they will run with this stuff once they have access to it and get excited about it. When you look at the patterns of B2B payment, large businesses that are still writing checks they may have electronified a large portion of their transactions, 
but they may be still writing checks to their smaller counterparties who obviously are not up and running on EDI, right? They're not, and maybe only have occasional interactions with this large enterprise. And the large enterprise winds up writing them checks. And if they knew this smaller entity could put a debit blocked bank account on their invoice, that large enterprise would receive it and go, hallelujah. Yeah. I can send them an ETH and I don't have to write them a check. No. So it does benefit large entities as well, where because there is a great deal of friction yeah. between big enterprises that have spent a lot of time and energy optimizing their back office and when they're interacting with another counterparty that is not as digitally sophisticated. Yeah. You're kind of a, a nuisance biller in that case. Yeah. Yeah, to- totally makes sense. So the one other point I wanted to put on put on this, and then we can kind of wrap up on the idea. I think what's interesting here too is, in a lot of cases, the economic side of this for the bank, right? So, or like, oh, small businesses, it's neglected, and they don't make any money. What strikes me about this package of solutions, right, is I don't think any of these small businesses care about any specific tools in this tool set, right? The idea of them in particular, they're really thinking about this as a job to be done, right? Which is, can I get paid in a way that's like easier, faster, sooner, hypothetically, but like administratively less painful and, and all of those things, cocktails. So really as at Aaron's Bank, you're kind of solving that with your suite of tools. I think the economic opportunity to like charge for that and extract your share of value for the what you've created in making that person's life better, especially as you said, if they're a reluctant sort of accountant and financier and they really just love their business. Like I, I think people pay disproportionately for that kind of a service. The going rate for an ACH for a small business, whether originated by, you know, Bill.com or Wells Fargo, you know, your major bank, is fifty cents. Fifty cents an ACH is not bad. No. Big businesses who operate at scale enjoy volume discounts. Yeah. Right? They're paying pennies per transactions. Yeah. But yeah, the going rate is is 50 cents. Effectively at no margin. Yeah. Yeah. And 45 of that or whatever is pure contribution margin. Like it's just right. money. And there's there's tremendous value in removing complexity. And I mean that, you know, square is the poster child making, you know, talking to small businesses about their finances and transactions and not using accounting speak to do it. So there's relief in terms of getting out of the owner's bits of running your business and the administrivia, right, that, that entrepreneurs don't enjoy. There's accelerated funds, the ability to hold on to funds a little bit longer if you are on the, on the outbound side. And when we get to the ISO 20022-fueled nirvana, you get the context around this transaction, which is so valuable. You actually understand that this payment goes with the request to pay that you made, and you know who's paying you for what, which in the world of business is actually a bit of a conundrum. And that's a whole different conversation. There is tremendous value associated with that. And then once this is all digitized and we have electronic transactions as opposed to paper, 
then you get into the value add associated with using that data, whether you're going to lend money, you know, accelerate based on those outstanding requests to pay receivables that are scheduled but not yet paid. Like there's all there's all sorts of fodder here for additional value add. I think that's actually the, one of the biggest threats to banks. Right, is when commerce moves online. Realistically, your merchant services provider becomes your primary point of deposit. Right, they're the first point of market entry for your cash. And as that grows, and then that as a share of your overall revenue grows, and share GDP like that. Addions and Stripes and whomever those big players in that space are, Braintree, like they're kind of almost like by default becoming your operating account, right? Because they touch the funds first, whereas, you know, squaring away for these um, true B2B transactions, squaring away the full receivables picture, like that's the point of market entry, right? If I don't get your cash in the first place, I can't do any of this other stuff. And so that, and the cash flow type lending you're talking about, but really anything, right? Like I'm, I'm not your bank if I don't have your money in that sense. In this particular instance, these businesses are, are relying on their bank and that's where their operating account is and it is their checking account. And what we're doing is we're trying to use that much more effectively. Totally makes sense. And I think it's a totally plausible path to eliminating check volume. So I'm all in on it. I mean, these are the types of things that I get excited about. I I assume other people have different hobbies, but that's their problem. I admitted in our first first opening salvo that I am a payments geek. Payments nerd. Yeah. And there's no no point. I think being proud of that is is good. So on on that note, kind of transitioning to more of a fun closing sequence, sort of fast forwarding ahead to today, or maybe historically the moment that you became a, a self-professed payments geek. Can you maybe tell us like what, what was the, when did you know that you were all in on doing that, making this your life's work? Oh, it was probably when I was, I was working for a big San Francisco bank and I was running a project. I was it was a huge re-engineering effort, but one aspect of it that, that I was responsible for was trying to digitize business, small business deposits received over the counter in the branches and scanning those checks and using image proof to understand where the high, vo- high value multi-million dollar checks had been deposited and sending trucks to go get those checks, never mind the rest of them, but get those checks and have some hope of getting them on the charter flights that flew to New York for clearing. Now, obviously this was a long time ago. It was pre-Check 21. At that time, working in conjunction with you know a bunch of vendors in the space, that work was really one of the first commercial applications of image check processing. That's really, I mean, that got me hooked. Uh, it was super, it was fascinating stuff. And I had a lab with all these little machines and ordering ridiculous checks with kitty cats and nonsense on them and filling them out with, with red pen in order to foil the character recognition. <laughs> But but that's, I mean, you know, Clayton, let's be honest, right? Like when we did that work decades ago, 
had no idea that today we would it, you would be taking pictures of checks with your phone to deposit them. Like we, the work that I did then has contributed to the persistence of checks today. I feel bad. Like I've spent the rest of my career trying to make up for that. And so th- this is a little piece of your penance journey is coming here today and, and with your three-point plan anti-check. Yeah, I hope your your soul may experience salvation someday from this from from your aggressions towards towards check proliferation. But to, totally makes sense. And that I mean, the physical and logistical and technical problems to solve to do that, I imagine, would have been addictive to to kind of anybody. So just to I guess to kind of wrap there in, in summation, it's great episode. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope it makes a great episode. Small business, we're we're gonna kill the check. You're absolutely driven to it because it's your your the that's the the cross that that you bear um, based on your real life transgressions of of check proliferation. And there's a really, I think you've articulated a very interesting, rational, practical, and quite possibly very, I think, profitable and massive kind of the consumer experience boosting plan to get there, right? That a, a bank of really any size could go out in action tomorrow. And, and I think that's really interesting. And it's doable, right? Take these initial steps, build upon them. There's a nice sequence here. Build a, a franchise. And I think the little closing anecdote that comes to mind for me is what is PayPal, right? But $500 you know, billion dollars of market cap from putting you know, two JavaScript pages on either side of the ACH network, right? Like it's very simple user experience interjections that can create a lot of value and importantly bring in a massive amount of addressable market that just would have never touched or benefited from something like the ACH network before. There are millions and millions and millions of small businesses. Infinitely deep market and certainly in, in this country. Well, awesome. Let's close there. Thank you so much for the time, Aaron. Thank you for uh, being willing to double down and and re-record this with us. And I uh, hope everybody uh, enjoys the episode. All right. Thank you.